Hello, this is Doug Hadaway. Welcome to Achieve Great Things, where we talk about the power of strategy, science, and storytelling to help you achieve ambitious goals for people on the planet. Amanda Renteria is CEO of Code for America, which believes government can and should work well for everyone. They use technology, data science, and user experience research to connect people to government safety net services, programs that equip people to tackle challenges that come their way, work their way out of poverty, and provide for their families. Amanda gave a powerful TED Talk that brought the crowd to its feet with a bold vision to unlock $30 billion for 13 million people. In this episode of Achieve Great Things, we'll talk with Amanda Renteria about Code for America and what it takes to envision and achieve a truly ambitious goal. Amanda, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You started your TED Talk telling a story you hate to tell, and I almost hate to ask you to tell it here, but it really, to me, made your sense of purpose as a person and the need for your organization's work really crystal clear. Would you mind telling it to our listeners? Sure. It won't quite be the same, um, but, you know, I think one of the realities is when you're a kid and you learn about these family stories, um, there are certain ones that you hear that have a real resonance and actually shape your life. You don't realize until years later how much it shaped your life. And for me, um, that really was hearing my dad talk about what it was like to grow up um, trying to survive, frankly. Um, he and my, he, he was the eldest of his family and they had to figure out, they worked in the fields, but it wasn't enough to actually make sure that there was food on the table. And so it was often the elders in the labor camps that would it be placed on them, particularly the boys to figure out how to put food on the table. And so, um, there was always this, this story, um, that my dad was really, he'd like to talk about his ingenious, like he figured it out all the time, but one of the ways of doing that was he and my Theo Mayo would um, go to the nearby dump that was right around the corner from the labor camp. And, uh, you know, they would, of course, joke about like who can find the best food, right? An apple, a candy bar. And, um, you know, how, how can we make sure we can bring the best that we can find for, um, for our families, for our younger brothers and sisters? And that really stuck with me over time to think about somebody at the time I remember I was about his age think about a time that that's what you were doing on a day-to-day basis is figuring out what time the dump trucks came in so you could jump the fence and find the very best food to bring home to your family and what kind of responsibility and really beginning in life that must have been for him. And, um, you know, even as he and my Theo Mayo talked about it, you could see they were finding, trying to find a way to um, tell us about it with all that comes with that's what you had to do just to survive um, and still have the confidence to go to school the next day. And all of those kinds of things were real to me. And um, the idea that any kid, any kid would have to do that in this country as rich and wealthy and all the resources we have has always been an incredible shame to me um, and something that God in my lifetime, I want to fix. Which of course brings us to Code for America and the mission of your organization. Paint that picture. Who do you serve? What's the problem you're working to solve? How does it flow from this experience of, of yours? Yeah, so what we're really trying to do is create systems that actually can reach people where they are. Um, you know, we have some policies that are already out there. In fact, right now there are there's an estimated $60 billion in benefits that go unclaimed every year. 
And we believe that we can make a huge dent in that by changing systems. And it's really simple things. It's things like making sure um, you can access resources on your mobile phone, that you don't have to go into five buildings to figure out how to get food assistance, but you can do it by a very simple way on the phone that you usually access the internet with, and that it's simple and it's easy and it actually welcomes you in. Um, you know, one of the biggest things we found in our research is how, um, how off-putting, really how shameful it is that government shows up in low-income communities by saying, are you a criminal first? And the sense of that, I mean, even when you walk into social services offices, you go through metal detectors and guards as though you're trying to steal something from the place. I mean, imagine that just doing your everyday grocery shopping, you had to do that and what that would feel like. Um, so not only are we making systems simple and easy, but we're making them empathetic and caring and with a heart because we know that makes a difference, not only for access, but in people's lives who are going through these moments or who having, um, you know, who need help in that way. Um, we want to be the kind of, we want to help create a kind of government that really is for the people by the people um, and doesn't make you feel um, bad about what your circumstances are or what you need. It really is just what government provides in order to have a sustainable economy and a, and a country that really anyone can succeed. For those who don't know a lot about the safety net services that are there for all of us when we need them, what are a couple examples for folks who aren't familiar with these? Sure, like you, you might've heard of um, SNAP or you might've heard of a food assistance. Um, really, it is providing a card where you can buy groceries. Um, and when you, can't, when you don't have the income in order to, to make it, there are programs that can help. So very similar to my dad, my entire, my entire dad and mom's family who worked in the fields, they actually weren't paid enough in order to make sure that you had a sustainable way of having food at the table. <laughs> and so government comes in and says, hold on a second, we need to make sure that we have a base level of folks who can put food on the table, um, who can make sure they can pay the rent and get through things. Um, and that really, I mean, those are the programs that are there, or you're out of a job and you're like, listen, I've got to figure out how to make ends meet while I find that next job. Um, those are the kinds of programs that over time we have seen have been incredibly effective to helping people get back to work, to managing childcare. When someone gets sick, what do you do? And that really is um, the role of social safety net in this country. And you have connected this to the idea of democracy. You said democracy has to deliver for real people. Tell us about that. That sounds like a big idea here. Yeah. So, you know, I was very lucky to have had some opportunities in my life and I ended up, you know, working in the United States Senate for about nine years. And I worked, and it was during the time I was there, we worked on some really big things. It was when Congress can work together and we're getting things done. Things like saving the auto sector, saving millions of jobs, right? Keeping the financial industry from collapse, fundamentally changing healthcare. And at that time in my life, I thought, man, if we could do big things in this country, um, people will believe in America and believe in themselves. And I believe that until I went back home where I grew up and ran for Congress, one of the lowest income congressional district in the, in the state of California and among the poorest across the country. And the minute I started knocking on the door, what I realized is that while I had been gone trying to do these things, what was happening at home is people weren't as easily able to put food on the table, get that good paying job, create opportunities for their kids. And it was a rude awakening for me in the idea that people believe in government when it works. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a simple notion, 
But heck, I had been away doing these big things and I thought, man, this is going to be great. And all of a sudden you're hit with the idea that on the other side of the door, they just are trying to find a good paying job. Um, And what I learned over the course of the next two years, because then I worked on the presidential campaign in 2016 after that, is that this wasn't just a story in my hometown, but this was a story all across the country that I kept hearing as I traveled to 33 different states and territories over and over again. And Doug, the, the, the key bottom line for me was that what I realized was that it wasn't that people had lost hope in America because we couldn't do the big things but it was because government couldn't do the basic things. And really what Code for America does is we really try and connect, make it easier for basic things to work, making sure we're putting a dent in hunger, making sure we're preventing people from homelessness, right? Those kinds of things, protecting our kids. Those are the kinds of things that we've got to get right if we want not only the country to work, if we want democracy to work, and if we want people to actually believe again in the system that we created that still is the big experiment of the world. In your TED Talk, you put forth a very audacious goal that won you a standing ovation. What's that story? (laughs) Yeah, so for almost a decade, Code for America has been working to improve um, the way people access and the way we do outreach for safety net systems. And um, what we are putting together is really building a way to help states Um, help states get to that point, right? So working with 15 states, uh, at least 15 states across the country to unlock $30 billion in benefits um, in the next five to seven years. And it's really been the biggest effort really by a philanthropic investment to say, we believe government can do this. We believe um, we can help right now. And we're giving you a timeline to go and help systems provide the resources they need. In some cases, in some states, that's ready tech talent, Sometimes that's building a system that works. Sometimes that's connecting different agencies through the use of technology. But it really is um, the art of meeting states where they are and saying we are committed to helping get this thing with you, not doing it for you, but with you to help teach, to help grow, to help really build the kind of systems for a new generation. And there's nothing more exciting to me to believe that it is the calling of our time that we can go from buildings, um, buildings where people have to walk into, to really meeting people where they are, where government actually goes to you and says, here, we, here, is, here is the relationship. We want to start it at your front door, not at government's front door. And one thing about sort of setting audacious, ambitious goals that people are motivated to invest in and work for is that they re- reflect the times that we're in. And you told me earlier, the uh, and in your TED Talk, the pandemic really brought this to the forefront, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, for most of Code for America's history, we were trying to convince people or governments that digital delivery was really important, that you can really unlock meeting communities who might not have been engaged, that you can streamline some efforts, that you can help the people who are working in government um, not have the huge casework that, that, that often ends up Um, on their desks because they're trying to navigate paper systems. And so moving from a paper-based system to online used to be that we'd have to convince people to do it. And governments thought about it as a nice to have. What the pandemic did is it made it not only must have, but it was the only way for people to access benefits. That switch in government really changed the way not only people looked at our work, but the urgency, the understanding, the reality 
that we can no longer do things the way we've done it before. And that really opened up for us in the pandemic. And it opened up in a couple of different ways. Not only did policy change so that it was easier to share data, it was people, people felt like they could come in and, and solve this problem together. The other, but the other thing that happened um, was that you had cohorts, you had different states working together for the first time saying, we have this problem, you have that problem, how do we do it, right? It was a little bit of what people might deem as like a war room where everyone's getting together and saying, we need to get kids, as an example, we need to get kids access to resources who are in school lunch programs. How are we gonna do this in the state of California? And Minnesota, do you have anything to offer to that? Rhode Island, do you have anything? Washington State, right? And having really just forward thinking public servants in the room, across different states, right? The 50 state big experiment, but having nine of them in the room trying to figure that out was not only inspiring, but it really created a foundation for how we can do things in the future. And so a big piece of our safety net innovation lab is doing it in the same cohort model so that shared best practices really move through so that people are working through the same barriers that they're seeing in their states. Um, And that's really, not only not only is it great for the operational piece of it, but it really is connecting public servants who have a mission and a heart in the same kind of way to get to a government that can meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. And you called this an experiment. You're learning through it. And it reminds me the Hathaway team worked with Code for America on a pilot program to prove that your approach really works. That program was called Get Your Refund. So that came before all this. Tell us that story. What did you learn from that? Yeah, so you know, it's it's almost interesting because we did get your refund, and and our way of working in general ha- is always iterative, right? Some people say agile, some people say iterative. We try and not use those terms when we're working with government partners because they can seem scary. But if you just look at it like every step of the way, we're trying to learn and get a little bit better. Um, one of the things we did is the back-end research. So when we did get your refund, what we were really trying to hone in on is how do we get people to um, engage with um, an IRS system, <laughs> right? How do, uh, there, there's nothing scarier than the you know, tax man knocking on your door, right? That's a pretty scary thing for a lot of families. And um, so we were trying to find the right language. We were trying to um, really understand how do you not just get people in, but then how do you make sure they make it all the way through and get their benefits? And so we did that on the front end. And what ended up happening, um, two things happened, is the child tax credit ended up passing. And we used a lot of the knowledge of how to interact with the tax system for building the child tax credit portal in partnership with the White House and Treasury. A lot of that was the language that we used, um, understanding that in a real way and making sure to, to be simple, easy, so that folks can understand. The second is the ecosystem that we had helped, um, we had helped really develop and empower um, with VITA program, which is a volunteer assistance um, program that's out there, really figuring out how do we connect um, volunteer help, whether that's VITA or whether that's community-based organizations that are deeply trusted in communities, how do we link them to the application process? And then the third thing um, was that, and we learned this and Get Your Refund too, is that our audience was not simply the people who were applying, but it was also the people on the back end, the public servants who are also not only catching the applications coming in, but understanding a different way of working, which is changing, learning, growing in real time. And so our get your refund experiment or pilot really allowed us to hone in on how to do those three three things well in a moment of urgency when we were building out the child tax credit, where we could talk simply, where we could use stakeholders, and where we could take government partners 
on a journey of what it means to iterate in real time and not be scared of it, but say, no, promise, next week will be better. We've now, we've now addressed the key barriers. And so all of it um, was a real spark for us about showing what is possible to government leaders and particularly showing what is possible in a moment of crisis. And in each case, these are programs and community partners that are already there. You're, you're figuring out how to optimize them and connect them with real people in real ways, not creating new things out of whole cloth, right? Never new things. Never new things. There's so <laughs> many great knowledge. Our idea is how do we use technology to help make that process better, right? Whether it's a paper-based process or it's um, helping community-based organizations um, apply. Right. I mean, instead of having to sit down with somebody at a desk, maybe we can we can create a toolkit or a tool that can help them apply on the phone, online, um, because they're the trusted entities. Right. And one of the beautiful things about that is it's not just empowering for the client, but it's empowering for the community based organization who says, ah, it's not just making a connection, but I'm actually getting them benefits. Um, that's really the magic um, that I hope we can continue um, to really work with governments to do, because I think that's when we've we've really gotten it right, because it's what it's leaving is a base of empowerment right in the communities that people are in. We've got listeners who are leaders in government, but also nonprofits, even business, who are trying to wrestle with same thing. How do I optimize my program? Um, I think they could clearly learn a lot from Code for America about how to do that, how to make existing programs work for the people they're supposed to serve. So think about those leaders. What what should they be asking about program design, execution, promotion? What should be on their minds? It really is about the people you're serving. And one of the things that I um, is so wonderful about Code for America is our grounding in this work is literally walking the walk to social services offices. It's literally going through the application process as though you are doing it and doing that at all levels in your organization, because it gives you a real sense of what's going on. And I don't think there's anything you can read research reports and that's great. And that's actually additive and helpful. But the idea of walking the walk is important for so many different reasons, things you will see that you, you know, never imagined you would see give you a real context to then build from there, whatever you're trying to do. And so um, I, I am truly, um, I was deeply touched in my interview process with Code for America when one of the things that uh, that was sent to me was a blog about going to a social services office and how, that's how this work started. Um, that to me is a real beginning and a really putting a client first, really trying to walk in other people's shoes and understand how to make it better. Absolutely, doing that. Get seeing it yourself, getting your hands on it yourself as part of that user experience research to use the buzzword. That's right. That's right. And then making sure to bring folks into the process also as you're building. So it's not a one time and walk away, mm -hmm. but it's not only going back and walking that walk, but it's throughout the process, ensuring that you're able to capture it in the process by making sure you have lived experience um, in the organization on the build, checking whether or not we got this right or not. Um, all throughout it, I think is really a key. Let's go back to that uh, great TED talk of yours. I, I'd call that a prime example of aspirational communication. It inspired people because it reflected or connected to their aspirations in some way, that kind of 
thing that really gets people jumping to their feet, which they literally did. What do you think? What do you think inspired that TED Talk crowd? As I look back on it, um, you know, you never really quite know, but I do think um, for people to feel like they can, that it is possible, it is possible to do something that feels hard. Yeah, I, I you know, after the talk, what I heard a lot of is, wow, I, I believe in government again. <laughs> it wasn't exactly what I thought they would say, right? I thought maybe they would say, you know, gosh, we can do, we can actually figure out poverty. But the fact that they believed in an action item, like government can change, right? This transformation can happen um, was really, I think, the part that was, in, I think, invigorating about it. But I, I do have to say, it's interesting on, on a notion like that, you also get a lot of different folks that you never realize who themselves had problem putting food on their table. And, um, you know, you open up a conversation that, um, you know, part of the TED talk, I, I, when I walked into the audience afterwards, I had folks who came up and said, I, I remember those days. And I had other people, people who walk up who said, I remember feeling what it felt like to walk through that metal detector in the social services office and how you go through that experience. Um, and then I heard other people say, I believe in government again. And, um, and I needed this, especially right now, <laughs> where we are really questioning and fighting for democracy, dem democratic institutions. Yeah, that's interesting, because it reminds me of another project we did together at Code for America was sort of artic helping articulate the team's values and the vision in a very authentic way. And it starts with your belief that government can and should work well for everyone. This fed right back into that sort of core belief that drives all of you. That sounds like pretty powerful, powerful connection. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also the for whom, <laughs> right? I mean, that part we went through of how do you highlight the for whom that we're trying to make government work for and who is it broken for and how do you just name that? And one of the things I really appreciate about the exercise that we went with, that we went through with you, Doug, is understanding who we were and how do we connect to the folks that we're trying to impact um, and the authenticity of you know, doing what we can in the space that we are in and finding the story within that. Because um, that's the reality, right? We're trying to change systems. I don't know if we're gonna change hearts and minds, but I do know we're in the business of changing systems and I know we can do that. And what you set out in the TED Talk was a very big goal to achieve that. And thinking again of those leaders out there who want to achieve big impact and knowing it can be scary. It can, you know, feel scary to set ambitious goals and put them out there publicly like you are doing. And I'm sure a lot went into that behind the scenes. How did you arrive at this very ambitious goal? And what advice would you give to other leaders about rallying organizations behind what can seem like scary but ambitious goals like this? Yeah, you know, when we decided to um, really go after audacious and this big this big goal, we were right in the middle of a crisis. And so what we could see is we could see our applications were triple like applications for food assistance were doubling and tripling. and we we recognized that the world wasn't quite ready for what was happening um, and how many people were going to be thrust into uncertainty and out of work. And at those moments, it becomes very clear, of what you need to do. You need to do everything we could to sustain that kind of commitment because we knew it was coming at us. I believe in the idea that uh, sometimes courage is not about, you know, boldly going out there, but realizing 
that you had two choices, doing nothing or trying to help. And what our team all at Code for America realized was we, we were looking around and there weren't a lot of other folks who had the kind of experience that we had had over the course of a, almost a decade. And so we, we needed to, our choice was not to do nothing, but to do everything we possibly could at that moment and move through it. And I think about a lot of nonprofit organizations that are out there in many cases, they're the only ones out there that have this depth of knowledge where government can't move that quickly. Private sector is focused on stakeholders and shareholders and not necessarily focused on the mission that we have purely. And that became real for the entire organization. And so being able to not only reach into the what we do, but the why we're doing it um, was a really important aspect. So when I talk about hearts and minds, and I know you helped us reach hearts and minds in our story, it's also hearts and minds internally yeah. and making sure that people understood why you woke up every day and why we were working 24 hours a day trying to figure out um, how to do this. And then saying, and we want to do this for five to seven years. Now, not the 24 hours a day, but recognizing <laughs> the mission of what we were doing right. was worthy of a long-term committed investment. Yeah, I think you said in your TED Talk, sort of the message and the mission rose to the moment. Well, thanks for sharing that. You're clearly, you inspired the TED Talk crowd. You are inspiring the team at Code for America. And thanks for inspiring the listeners of our humble podcast. Appreciate it very much. Oh, thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me.